Hello, everyone. I am so excited today to interview two leaders of nonprofits working in Asia who have co-written a book, I mean, an article, excuse me, I'm not going to make you authors just yet, co-written an article about a very dangerous approval of genetically engineered golden rice in the Philippines. And I'm wearing a shirt that I bought in the Philippines. It's a traditional type of shirt in the Philippines to honor and support that country. Uh, we're here with Farida Akhtar and Afsar Jafri. Their description of their organizations is written uh, in the description of this talk. But we're going to speak about golden rice and the corrupt approval and also the risks associated with it for human health and the environment. Um, so. Who would like to start and give the description of what's taken place and the approval process and how it uh, overlooked some of the more serious issues? I think you go ahead. No, no, for, for Philippines, I think uh, you can talk about it. The approval in Philippines, the latest situation. Okay, in fact, uh, uh, you know, the Philippines government has recently approved, uh, given commercial approval, it's basically the, uh, the Bureau of Plant Industry, which is uh, uh, a division in the Department of Agriculture, uh, or also called as Phil Rice, and they issued a biosafety permit for commercial propagation of genetic in, genetically engineered golden rice recently as uh, 21st of july 2021 so this and and it's not uh, i mean this was a commercial earlier they have already given approval uh, i think sometime in 2019 uh, uh, for uh, for basically it was uh, for, for the direct use for food feed and processing but now this is this for a recent approval is for commercial propagation so if to give a background to golden of golden rice, it's the poster child of the genetically engineered movement, uh, claiming that it's going to protect people from vitamin A deficiency. Uh, and vitamin A deficiency can cause blindness. And yet, as we will see during this interview, the proclamation that golden rice is the solution is completely unsupported by science and the release of it puts in danger a big portion of the world whose staple food is rice and um, this is one of the approvals that we're going to be talking about Farida is also going to talk about the corrupt approval of eggplant called brinjal in in uh, bangladesh and that it, it produces the BT toxin, and that's been approved in a completely haphazard and dangerous way. So, Afsar, Afsar, Afsar coming back to you, um, what were the, some of the things that were not evaluated properly at the times of the approval in the Philippines? You know, uh as you rightly mentioned, uh, Jeffrey, because uh, this golden rice and the movement against golden rice is going on for, I suppose, for the last two, three centuries, two, two, three decades. And I remember in 2000, when uh, around 2000, uh, this golden rice was developed. And after that, uh, uh, the, the, there was constant uh, opposition by the people from at least four countries, India, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, and Bangladesh. In Bangladesh, when this was approved recently, the Bangladeshi, uh, sorry, in, in, in Philippines, when this was approved recently, the Philippines uh, people's group, especially there are, uh, you know, uh, farmers, there are uh, experts, there are uh, organizations who are opposing golden rice. For example, Masipak, is on the forefront of opposition, opposing golden rice. And there is a, a network of uh, civil society groups, which is called uh, SGRN, Stop Golden Rice Network. And this, this uh, people's 
you know, uh, coalition have opposed the recent approval to golden rice and they have said that when it was approved, the government of uh, Philippines has not followed some of the important uh, parameters which they should have been following uh, while clearing uh, this kind of, uh, uh, you know, genetically engineered rice for public consumption. And the, for example, they said that the public, the public at large, even the farmers were not consulted when this approval came in. They, the, they, and they also not uh, uh, followed the strict uh, parameters for health concerns. You know, uh, how the golden rice is going to impact uh, the health of the people was not, uh, you know, properly uh, uh, tested. In fact, the focus was on agronomic concerns, agronomic, how it, it performs, but how it impact the people health, how it impact the biodiversity. And mind it, it is rice and rice is a staple crop, not only in, in, in Philippines alone, but it is the whole of Asia. And Asia is also the uh, I would say, uh, you know, uh, the biodiversity hub of rice. There are hundreds and thousands of varieties of rice, not only in Pakistan, in, in, in Philippines alone, but in Bangladesh, in India and in Indonesia. I mean, we have, uh, you know, there are several documents available which shows that in India alone, we have around, you know, in 1947, in, when India got independent, at that time, there were more than... 100,000 varieties of rice, but there are no research which shows how the golden rice, especially when the golden rice is being propagated in the farmer's field, how it's going to impact the other varieties, how it will contaminate. So this is something very, very serious issue. And these issues were not considered, I suppose. Thank you. And Farida, please continue. Yeah, yeah. I want to add to that, you know, the reason uh, both Afsar and I thought of writing this, uh, actually it was kind of rejoinder to an article written in one of the national dailies in Bangladesh, which was really showing that golden rice is approved in Philippines, now Bangladesh must follow. And in the article, it was concern was expressed uh, that um, Bangladesh Rice Research Institute scientists who are connected to the golden rice research were very upset with the Ministry of Environment for not for taking so long, like the application for the approval of golden rice in Bangladesh was made in 2017. And now it is 2021. And in the meantime, Philippines got it and Bangladesh is still not having it. But in the article, one sentence said that there is no opposition in Bangladesh. And that made us angry that we have been opposing it from the very beginning since 2002 when they were talking about it in uh, conferences and trying to introduce a Sinjanta sponsored meeting and um, you know with the scientists and the by the interesting point was you know when i was going through uh, the chronology of what happened in bangladesh actually we don't have a biosafety protocol uh, by safety act still we don't have but the process was going on from 2005 and we were involved in that in those meetings we were invited and whenever we raised the question of uh, potential risks that we came to know from different um, international uh, readings um, and whenever we raised that they actually tried to stop us or did not want to take it further but one of the meetings that i was also there it was attended by importers of rice and they were trying to import 12 kilos of uh, golden rice and to cultivate in bangladesh and we opposed it so we had many many demonstrations we wrote a lot in the newspapers our concern was that we have alternatives to uh, the so-called golden rice. You know, we don't need golden rice. We have so many different vegetables, fruits, 
even uncultivated wild greens, you know, that, and, and in Bangladesh particularly, we have um, jute leaves that is known, and even the village people know that it has, it is good for the eyes. <laughs> so uh, Bangladeshi people are quite knowledgeable on that. And also because we have been working with this Nayakrishi farmers, you know, this biodiversity based farmers, and they have col collected almost like 3000 varieties of rice uh, because uh, those were getting lost and they have identified 80, 80, 80 varieties of rice which some of them are aromatic and some are deep water rice which are rich in vitamin A. And so, you know, but so many of them are getting lost because uh, there is no support for that. So I want to I want to repeat what you said because it is so stunning that there are 80, 80. 80 varieties of rice that were not genetically engineered no. that are identified by Bangladesh farmers that are high that have vitamin A yes. in significant <laughs> yes. quantities. Yes. And yet the biotech industry is rallying behind golden rice, where, as Professor David Schubert, of Salk, formerly of Salk Institute, wrote in a peer-reviewed published article, how the process of creating beta-carotene in the genetically engineered golden rice changes the retinoic acid pathway, which is linked to birth defects. And that's yes. an example, one of the things that can result from the collateral damage from the process of genetic engineering, not to mention the massive changes in gene expression that can occur that has not yet even been evaluated by yeah. the makers of golden rice. And they're willing to risk the population of the Philippines and Bangladesh and others, risk it with a technology which is prone to side effects and knowing that there are 80 other natural varieties that can provide vitamin A without the risks of yeah. genetic engineering. And they know that with beta-carotene, the form that, that their golden rice is in, you need fat to digest it. Yes. And, the, and so why don't you pick it up from there? Yeah, yeah. no, okay, no, I uh, also want to add that when uh, Singenta came to Bangladesh to to uh, work on the golden rice, they picked up one high-yielding variety, Bangladesh Rice Research Institute developed rice, it is BR29. So this is very much grown all over Bangladesh in the uh, boro season. This is the winter crop rice, uh, which was not there before, but it is now grown everywhere because it is promoted by government. Now, this particular rice is taken by Sinjanta to make golden rice. So you can imagine that what will happen. And also I can tell you, you know, Bangladeshi people are not so easy to be fooled. You know, they would not like some rice. They like the red rice or brown rice, whatever natural color it has. But if suddenly it becomes gold looking or very yellow looking, you know, they would not like it. So, so there has been no, uh, actually public um, uh, support, but of course there is no consultation. But whenever we talk to our Nayakrishi farmers, we showed all the pictures to them, you know, and in, in meetings, you know, in a big screen. And they said that this is not a rice we, are, uh, we want or something, you know. So, but this has to be taken, uh, this should be considered, you know, that whether the farmers would like it or not. Because they will have to grow it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Afsar, you talked about the consumers rejecting it. Farda, you talked about the farmers rejecting it. There's also the question they just recently found that the beta carotene, which is the precursor to vitamin A, it basically um, dis dismantles itself over time as the yeah. rice is stored. So by the time it gets to the people, not only is there so little beta carotene, we don't know, but if they don't have fat in the diet at the same time, it's not going to be absorbed. And there's no, as you pointed out in the article, there's no research 
to indicate that it'll even solve the problem. Yeah. So um, what I want to point out, I, I, I want to share a story here and then come back to you both, because this is my concern about rice in particular. And I, and I think your point, Farida, is that it's very well taken that it's a type of rice that is very popular. So mm -hmm. if it gets out there, it could cross pollinate very easily and it could contaminate a large amount of the rice that's being eaten every day by millions of people. And how many how many meals a day of rice do people have in Bangladesh and in India? In Bangladesh, <laughs> Bangladesh at least three meals, but for the poor people, uh, it is two meals. But but uh, Bangladeshi people cannot survive without rice, and uh, you know for a well-to-do or you know those who can manage, they would they have breakfast as rice. They, they have lunch as rice, they have dinner as rice. So yes. at least three meals. And uh, Afsar in India? Same. I mean, uh, normally depends uh, where you are in India. In North, uh, normally where people eat, uh, you know, wheat bread in the morning, in the breakfast, and but rice in, the, in, in lunch and rice in dinner. So at least two, th two times they do consume rice. So I was talking, I was in Europe and I met a former Monsanto scientist. And he explained to me that he knew that there was a study on rats from corn that was genetically engineered and it damaged the rats. And that instead of withdrawing the corn, Monsanto rewrote the study to hide the effects. We know that this is what they do. They're famous for rigging their research and avoiding uh, admitting the dangers of their products. So this Monsanto scientist was very concerned because he said that uh, corn is a staple in South Africa and in Southern Africa. And typically the highest amount of, of genetically engineered corn that Monsanto feeds to rats is 33% of the diet. And he said to me, the people in South Africa eat a much bigger percentage of their diet as from the corn the rats were damaged in 90 days, and which is the equivalent of a young adolescent, and yet the people in South Africa will be eating it their whole lives. And he figured if the rats were damaged with that small percentage in just 90 days, what's going to happen to his to, to people he, that he was concerned about in Africa? So I spoke to a farmer, and he had been, it was um, a South African farmer, I originally talked to his veterinarian, who said that this farmer's pigs and cows were seriously injured, they weren't doing well, they were losing him money, they had all sorts of symptoms, serious symptoms, and the um, veterinarian recommended that he stop feeding them genetically engineered corn. So the farmer had switched to non-GM corn, started feeding the animals the non-GM corn, they got better, ran out of that corn, had to take corn from the from the marketplace, they got sick again, and then he had enough non-GMO corn planted to cover the full year. But in parallel with that, the workers on his farm were eating that corn as a staple three times a day. And when he was growing genetically engineered corn, they were eating 100% of their corn as genetically engineered, not a mixture like is normally done in the marketplace, and they were eating it three times a day. Now, he said that his workers were so sick, they had inflammatory problems, headaches. He said that so many had to be, you know, laying in bed that he had to hire 20% more just to keep, you know, he needed 50, he had to hire 60. But he said that he would talk to his farm workers and about two or three, once or twice a month, he would see that their eyes would move independently and no longer track together. And he knew from experience that they would be dead within one or two days. And he didn't know why. He was spending a lot of money on medicines. When he planted non-GMO corn for his animals, the workers started eating it and they all got better. When he ran out, they bought corn from the marketplace and the workers and the animals suffered. Now, 
There's an expression about being the canary in the coal mine. The canary is brought in with the, the miner. If the canary dies, then you have to get out of the coal mine because there's too much gas and the canaries are, are too sensitive. These people in South Africa were eating more genetically engineered food than anywhere else in the world. And we think that the damage to their health was a result of that. We think that they were experiencing as the canaries in the coal mine, the early stages of what others are receiving in a kind of a slow poisoning. Now, if someone creates golden rice and then they eat it three times a day or twice a day, then whatever toxin or retinoic acid change or anything that occurs in the rice that hasn't been identified even or tested for, there could be a catastrophe. But no one is linking it. No one would link it to the genetic engineering because there's no surveillance. There's no test testing. It's like the genetically engineered eggplant. Farida, can you talk about that eggplant and the lack of scientific evaluation that's going on with an eggplant that could be causing enormous damage? Do I have two hours for that? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I have so many information. First of all, in the beginning, you mentioned corrupt approval. That's very important, you know. It was the same story like with Philippines, you know, for BT Brinjal, we call it BT Brinjal or BT Aburjain and BT uh, eggplant. It was a three country study. So India, Philippines and Bangladesh. In India, when it was uh, like moratorium was declared in uh, 2010, 2010 uh, till 2020, so uh, it was stopped in India. So they were not successful in India. In fact, I think they were more interested in India because the India is a, one of the big producers of BT brinjal as well as eaters. Most, there are many uh, vegetarians in India. And in Philippines, then it was in Philippines, they could not get the uh, approval uh, because of the Supreme Court uh, decision on the uh, argument of the constitutional provision. And then, so in 2013, suddenly and in Bangladesh, it was politically very bad situation. Uh, in 2014, there was going to be elections, so the opposition and the government were fighting with each other. So at that time, in mid-2013, mid suddenly we saw a newspaper article uh, report that um, Bangladesh would go, is going to be the first country to uh, approve BT Brinja. So then we started reacting and we even went to the court. But of course, the court was not free to decide and they, um, yeah, they rejected our writ um, uh, petition. But anyway, it was recorded and it was too much in the media. So that was good uh, for us. And then um, by October, we were hearing that there were several meetings in the Ministry of Agriculture and National uh, Biotechnology uh, Committee. And October 30th was the last day of the parliament. So the minister, if they have to decide whatever they have to do, they have to do within October 30th. Otherwise, they will no more be ministers. So what they did, by October, maybe uh, mid-October, they had meetings. And in fact, they only read the executive summary of the approval documents and then just said, OK. And on uh, October 13th, uh, 30th, they uh, declared. And uh, we know that in the Ministry of Environment, all the people who were you know, uh, connected to it were not happy with the process, but they could not say anything. You know, in uh, January 5th, there was an election and it was a corrupt election. The opposition did not participate. So it was a one party election. The government came back again. And same minister became Motia Chaudhary. She became the agricultural minister again. By 20th of January, they started giving out the siblings. 
So you can see this whole process that it cannot be a genuine process. And they just gave out to 20 farmers. And then by March, these farmers, already the season was late because they could not do it before. Um, by March, these farmers were very upset because nothing was growing from these seedlings. Many were dying. Only two farmers uh, continued because they got a bit support. And rest of the farmers in one press conference organized by the promoters um, government, um, all the farmers were very angry and they were quite embarrassed to have this and, that's and, amazing i have i have seen rigged press conferences around the world i have seen farmers give misinformation on purpose and being paid for it i know that in south africa there was a farmer that had been paraded in front of all these press as the successful grower of genetically engineered cotton he event in makatini flats he eventually he eventually admitted it was all a fraud Yes. You know, in India, they had pictures of a person standing next to a tractor praising the genetically engineered cotton. It turns out in, in, implying that he had gotten the tractor because of it. There was another person who was claimed to be a farmer. When they tracked him down, the other person wasn't a farmer. He was a cigarette salesman. And the person with the tractor said, oh, no, that cotton did so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't buy anything with it. I rejected it. So they 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 actually paid farmers in India to be the spokespeople about it, to promote it. So what you're describing, go ahead. No, they did here also, you know, they, it, only two farmers who spoke in favor of them, but they did not expect that all the others would show their anger so much, you know, so it was a surprise to them as well. So what we were following after that, you know, we were following up the farmers and next round of uh, uh, the, uh, you know, every time in September, they again give out the seeds. So we were following all the farmers that we could find and um, nobody was happy except few farmers who were continuously being uh, monitored by the Department of Agriculture Extension. And they come and they say, and they were not allowed to talk to the journalist or any outsider. And uh, you will enjoy when, uh, when what the farmers say. We say, do you know this is a GMO uh, brinjal? Because we have so many different brinjals. And farmers are familiar with so many brinjals. So we say that this is a new brinjal. Uh, it's a genetically modified. They say, no, we know it is a government brinjal. Sharkari begum means government brinjal. So they know that government gave it, that's why we have to take it. So yeah. that's yeah, it. See, the thing so is the lack of information, not giving the information to the farmers that it is a genetically modified crop. And also that to tell them that you will have to have some other seeds, which they explained to us is a non-GMO seeds to have on the borders. And, uh, and they explained to the farmers that if you do that, there will be no pest on the uh, actual brinjal, the four brinjal that um, they were given to cultivate. So farmers are starting to saying that, uh, okay, if these brinjals are good, that they will protect the um, uh, crops, then why not we take those and <laughs> not have the BT brinjal? Because if BT brinjal needs to be protected by other brinjal, so we should take those as well. So this is what not uh, has been explained to them. Now, to make this story short, we have seen uh, fruits uh, rotting on the plants the plants are not growing for months you know and also the other crops are they are cultivating in between other crops there are no by safety protocols maintained there were seven conditions given by ministry of environment to follow and nothing was uh, uh, you know followed and um, particularly when they were taken to the market they said it has to be labeled the farmer said how can we label it and uh, they and but it it is good level you know when they take to the market the normal brinjals can stay for longer you know doesn't uh, you know the texture of the skin still retains but bt brinjal skin uh, you know is uh, just it gets something how do i explain that uh, texture is lost 
yeah so so that is what they cannot sell enough it's not popular in the in the market even if they mix with other brinjals you know so that is uh, what um, it is not yet in the market in the way they are claiming and they now they are claiming that the uh, thousands of farmers are uh, taking it at least 27000 farmers are taking it recently last june i have taken information from department of agriculture extension and they said that we could hardly give two bt brinjal varieties bt brinjal 2 and bt brinjal 4 only to 5000 farmers we gave it but we don't know that if they have grown it enough so this is what is going on so it is entirely i want to use this word a complete failure and the entire story is of lies by cornell university and their you know um, advocates you know it's interesting um we don't have bt eggplant in the united states but we have bt corn we have bt cotton in south america there's bt soybeans so although there has not been any safety research on eating bt eggplant the research on bt in general is not very um doesn't give a lot of confidence bt stands for bacillus thuringiensis which is soil bacteria that if you spray it on a plant just from the bacteria and the spores you'll kill certain insects caterpillars it'll poke holes in the guts of the insects to kill them now they use the bt spray in agriculture in the united states when it was sprayed in the pacific northwest uh, by plane for gypsy moth infestation about 500 people reported uh, allergic and flu like symptoms some had to go to the hospital farm workers who were tested with antibody tests showed that they were reacting to bt when they fed it to uh, mice they showed uh, immune responses that were very serious when the bt was fed to mice that showed damage to the intestines they found that uh, under high concentrations the bt from corn in a in a laboratory could poke holes in human cells the same type of holes that are used to kill insects in a study in canada they found that 93% of the pregnant women tested had bt toxin in their blood how did it get in the blood maybe through the holes that it poked creating a kind of leaky gut in the in the intestines it was also in 80% of their unborn fetuses so now you have in this generation unborn fetuses with a toxin that pokes holes in human cells and provokes an allergic response it not only provokes an allergic response to itself but in studies with mice made the mice more sensitive to formerly harmless foods so then it can promote a wide spectrum in india the bt producing cotton was associated with itching symptoms and flu like symptoms it was reported on i compared it in my second book and it was the same type of symptoms that were found in the 500 people in the pacific northwest in the united states who were sprayed with the natural variety when i went to india and investigated i went to one uh one village where the 13 water buffaloes and 26 goats and sheep died after grazing on the bt cotton plants after harvest these were just a small percentage of the thousands that were associated and just like the eggplant the cotton in india did not perform as it was planned it could have root rot and leaf curl and mealy bugs and it could have shorter staples and lower cost and didn't failure to germinate and smaller bowls and difficult and more expensive uh, labor practices and it fetched less from the marketplace and yet people were convinced by the corrupt practices of monsanto that it was going to make them rich and so they borrowed money to invest in the seeds and the chemicals and when they couldn't even pay back the loans to recover their their expenses and they are feared losing their land there's an estimated 250,000 of them committed suicide this is Many the notes more. from uh from not only from Vandana Shiva but actually confirmed by leaked documents from the government and in yes. india you talked about the approval process that was corrupted and and the supreme court and all that in the philippines i remember interviewing dr pm bargava from india 
for hours, who was put by the Supreme Court in India onto the approval process and described it as a complete facade, where, and he said not a single GM crop anywhere in the world has been properly evaluated and said that there should be an immediate abolishment of the GM crop approvals in India and a complete uh, upgrade of that approval process. So what yeah, you're describing they... that happened in Bangladesh regarding the brinjal and what happened in the Philippines regarding the, the uh, golden rice is a repeat. But you also have seen how they pitch one country against another. They claim approvals in the, mm -hmm. in the one countries which are not true. They say to other countries, you're going to fall behind if you don't do it. Your whole industry is going to fall behind. And none of that is true. Yeah. Jeffrey, I would like to point out one more important thing regarding the BT cotton in India. And, you know, when, when the BT cotton was commercially released in India in, 2000, in, in 2002, March 2002, within 10 years, within 10 years, within a decade, we have seen how the BT cotton has completely wiped out all the indigenous varieties of cotton in India. And India being the endemic country for cotton, we had around 4,700 varieties of cotton, which includes perennial cotton, which includes colored cotton, which is American varieties and Indian varieties of cotton. And, and today, the government and the industry talk about the diversity of GM cotton, they forget about the diversity of indigenous cotton in India. This is what is the current situation. And if this happens with rice, you know what will happen. It will completely make people dependent on industry rice. They will, they, and rice being you know, self-pollinating and rice being a crop which normally people save and plant next year, they will lose all the varieties and they will completely be dependent on the on the on on these kind of rice you know supplied by agribusinesses yes i, I agree farley you want to pick that up uh, yeah no, uh, one uh, thing uh, what jaffrey said that losing the diversity um, you know one um, cultural point this is a cultural thing and i, I think we have to mention it you know, whenever they uh, change, uh, you know, they did not invent BT uh, brinjal, you know. It, they have actually taken one of our, nine of our uh, local brinjals and just inserted BT into it and then named it BT brinjal 1, BT brinjal 2, BT brinjal 3, 4 and so and so. So, um, so what, uh, but BT brinjal 1, for example, was originally called Kajla. BT Brinjal 4 was Noyantara. These are very nice names given by farmers over the years they have been growing it. So whenever the original name changes to a number, it's like a prisoner. <laughs> so prisoners have number, you know, human beings lose their names in the prison. So I think what we are doing to our, uh, you know, crops, that have been grown by farmers for years and they have loved it, they have named it, and now it, it is a number, Beauty Brinjal 4, 2, 1, but it was Kajla, Uttara, Nayuntara, these were lovely names. And, and, and I think it is a prisoner, so it's a prisoner Brinjal. Yes. And I just to add to Farida ji, I mean, these were not the names, these were the varieties where. For example, uh, we, we don't only consume rice, cooked rice. There are several other things which are made out of rice. For example, we have puffed rice, we mm -hmm. have beaten rice, and there are different other uses for it. There are religious importance, there are cultural importance. And when you give a name, people forget those cultural linkages with the rice. Yes, number does not give, give this cultural linkage. So I think losing the name is also a concern. And we would, we would really not like to lose that. One thing I would like to also say to Jaffrey that, you know, if, when we, this, this, this uh, rice was released commercially, it doesn't indicate how much a person, a child has to consume, how much quantity of rice a child has to consume to, you know, uh, which give them enough supplement to, you know, for the vitamin A. 
So, I mean, these, I mean, there are FDA reports which clearly says that, uh, you know, the, the beta-carotene content of unmilled golden rice it is insufficient. And it has, there are several other alternatives available which has got much more content of vitamin A, for example, fresh carrot or greens or spinach. I mean, uh, you know, there are several other things which we can name here, which has got much more uh, content of uh, vitamin A compared to, you know, uh, beta-carotene compared to, you know, uh, golden rice. For example, in sweet potato, we have 173 uh, microgram per gram of beta-carotene. In carrots, we have 125 microgram per, per gram of beta-carotene. Similarly, in tomato, in spinach, in moringa, compared to that, golden rice has only 3.57 microgram per gram of beta-carotene. So, I mean, uh, very in interestingly, they have not tried to, you know, answer this question of how much a person needs to consume so that it gives them enough better quality. Also, may I, I just one point, you know, like what, what uh, Afsar was saying, you know, but we also, when we eat like spinach or a vegetable, it's, it's not a, like tablet or a medicine, you know, that we only take it as vitamin A or vitamin C. So these vegetables and fruits and rice that we eat, it's a complete nutritional package. So it has other uh, vitamins as well. It has other nutritional values, medicinal values. So altogether it is a meal, then we can remain healthy. But if, if we don't take only this spinach as vitamin A. This spinach also has other vitamins iron and other things. So that is important to us. And as a whole, this holistic nutritional package is much more important than just saying that this rice is going to give you beta carotene and so you have to have it. And he is very right that they don't mention the amount. And so we cannot, we cannot do it. So it's not feasible at, at all in our context. It's not feasible. Farida, you describe the narrow thinking of the scientists perfectly. It's the narrow thinking that is willing to risk poisoning people with genetically engineered crops because they only look at the narrow, does it contain what we're thinking it contains and ignore all sorts of potential unpredicted side effects. They think in terms of nutrition in a very reductionist viewpoint. They don't consider the full diet. And those that do consider the full diet realize that they have actually overcome vitamin D deficiency in many different programs. I have read about and heard about and talked about the ones in Bangladesh where they're teaching people to grow diverse gardens for the household that provide more than enough vitamin A, but others as well. If you want to be reductionist about it and take a pill, then you can take a high dose vitamin A pill for about five cents a year, two different, you know, every six months. But, you know, and that will do <laughs> at the fraction of the cost of the development of golden rice. And that may be a, a stopgap, but then your organizations may come through and say, you know, there's a smarter way to do it that'll give you a full diversity of nutrition and give you self-sufficiency in terms of, of diet and improve the land and give you some opportunities so that your children can play with the dirt and get the microbiome into their bodies that's so healthy. So there's a holistic thinking that is often what the indigenous and traditional traditions were all about anyway, before big agribusiness came in with its narrow profit-driven and reductionist, reductionist science, so-called science. So we're about at the end of our time. I would like to give you both an opportunity to share whatever you want and please include the name of your organization. We have the name of your organization in the description so people can search for it and find it. You're welcome to give any other resources and anything you want to say. Yeah, I would, okay. 
just to i mean give my concluding comments one thing which also uh, i would like to highlight here is that when uh, the commercial clearance was given in philippines it is interesting that in the you know uh, uh, they have also highlighted certain risks and and put certain conditions which says that the director of you know the uh, the department bureau of plant industry they should be informed immediately upon discovery not exceeding 24 hours of any event if the regulated article which is golden rice could pose greater risk to biodiversity human and animal health which itself include that these aspects were not thoroughly you know uh, tested so uh, so far as the grain is concerned we have enough material on our website called www.grain.org which which has you know if you want to know more about golden rice if you want to know more about what are the problems with the genetic engineering uh, crops and 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 we have also uh, two other uh, you know uh, sister websites called bilaterals.org and landgrab.org where we can find a lot other materials on ftas and how the free trade agreements and trade agreements are linked with the you know these genetically engineered uh, you know uh, uh, crops which are being pushed on the developing countries and how the trade agreements are being used to push the genetically engineered crops on the developing countries so if you want to know more about that you can visit uh, www.grain.org okay um, uh... you know what uh, is happening through bt brinjal and also golden rice and also a lot more are coming up i think they are destroying our biodiversity anyway and so they now want to have patented uh, you know bt brinjal rice taking our basic resources and we we live in india bangladesh we are in the center of origin of this biodiversity so uh, here you know they are coming and taking our resources to have a monopoly market globally so this is their interest basically you know they don't care about the blindness of our children believe me i don't believe it at least you know that they don't care about it. they uh, you know so and also i think uh, we should name bill and melinda gates foundation behind it because they are really promoting it through farmer future and also uh, through cornell university crop science you know they are really propagating false information and which is really a concern for us because they are doing it in the name of science because this look like a scientific paper but they are full of lies and misinformation so i would say that in ubini ubini is the abbreviation of in of a research organization for policy research for development alternative and we also are working with a biodiversity based farmers almost 300000 farmers are working with us we are practicing biodiversity and you can also visit our website and facebook www.ubinig.org so you will get lot of materials there and of course you can contact us anytime thank you so i want to say it i love giving a window to your world for those that are on our facebook page and in our podcasts and we'll read our our um, emails um the, a lot of times i focus a lot on the health dangers and i didn't even get started on the potential dangers from from the bt brinjal and from the golden rice i just gave a little snippet but you know farida you work with 2 300,000 farmers and afsar you have this whole you also work with farmers in community and you're aware of a much bigger impact than just health health is substantial we can link gmo foods and the roundup sprayed on them to a lot of diseases and that maybe maybe it's resulting in millions upon millions of diseases and death and we have a strong argument to make that so when i say worse than just health i consider health to be extraordinarily bad but you're talking about 
the, the life of the farmers, the life of the community, and the long-term consequences for the environment. If you take 4,700 varieties of indigenous cotton and you, or, and you knock it out to just a handful, when you take hundreds of thousands of varieties of rice and you knock it out, when you collapse the biodiversity of, of eggplant, you cannot restore them. And yes. we have not yet evaluated and even learned how to evaluate all of the incredible benefits of nature's pharmacy in this diversity of food. In a time of global climate chaos, having that diversity is our security. And yet we know from the Terminator technology, I won't go into the story, the biotech industry was, was willing to sacrifice global security by eliminating the age-old tradition of farmers saving seed and turning seed, genetically engineered seeds, into sterile offspring, forcing farmers to come back to the catalogs for a minor of just a narrow diversity, which could end up in grave famine or pestilence, etc. So this genetically engineered introduction of these crops through your lens gives a much bigger picture. And I deeply appreciate you spending the time. I think, you know, if I were traveling and we were sitting down together as I've done in 45 countries, we would spend two days and I would learn every little detail I could from you and write it all down and report it in, in, fa in Facebook Lives and articles and books. But what you've chosen to share is absolutely precious. I'm gonna ask you to stay on for a moment as I sign off from the Facebook Live. Thank you all for joining us. Please visit their websites, follow up, consider making a donation to their organizations, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with, or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.